Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Tuesday, February 14th, the Valentine's Day Massacre edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, which I, I think we're heading down that path uh, at, here at Irish Illustrated as uh, the news came out uh, earlier this week, Harry Heastand on Sunday during the Super Bowl. Uh, I was praising Harry Heastand for his great timing of, of releasing that info during the Super Bowl. Uh, that's a media-driven opinion there. But, of course, the, the the news late last night or later last night that uh, that Andy Ludwig would not be Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. It was reported by Pete Thamel that uh, the buyout clause was a snag and um, Notre Dame Nation reacted accordingly to that. We want to talk about uh, that situation. Colin Klein, we hadn't discussed him. I don't believe um, since our last podcast or in our last podcast, or he's standing, even the potential of other coaching changes. Um, this is going to be all over the place, folks, because I don't know that we have a lot of uh, a lot of hard answers here. We're going to try to keep a little bit of perspective. Uh, but right now, the situation with Notre Dame's offensive coordinator and the look that Notre Dame presented everybody nationally is not a very good one. I want to make sure I, I do this first before we start this podcast. So, okay. Um, yeah, Tiffany, we're not going to talk about Preston Zinter uh, learning all three linebacker positions and how that's egregious <laughs> coaching behavior. We, we are not. We are not. We're not going to talk about how fun it was talking to Thomas Harper, who, uh, who who's an engaging guy and getting to meet uh, Devante Jean-Baptiste. And we had, I don't think we had any personnel related questions submitted this week so um no, we're going to be talking about Notre Dame and their coaching situation and and who to blame because there's a lot of blame being passed around right now yeah the swing in the last 30 hours I guess it would probably be from being I would have lost money betting on Andy Ludwig becoming from everything we heard over the weekend becoming Notre Dame's offensive coordinator I also would have lost money if you asked me what Andy Ludwig's buyout was because I would not have said that and I'm amazed that that is a coordinator's buyout at Utah but there's obviously some foresight there Prevents lateral moves, doesn't it? It really does. It's I mean, we talk about like you know, getting out coached in a game plan. If you can get out administrated, um, that happened here for Notre Dame. I thought that you know the way that Utah has structured their contract, they really value stability there, and they make it they make it really hurt um, for you to leave. This was not. This should not have been news to Notre Dame if you know due diligence was done. Uh, because this number was out before Andrew Lugwood hopped on the plane. Um, so it's, yeah, the optics of it are bad. You you know, at some point, Notre Dame will stop trying to hire coaches from Utah in a very public fashion. doesn't go very well. But it's really a failure of process for Notre Dame. Um, they can still hire a very good OC. Um, but the way that this search has gone to date, 
uh, whether you talk to agents or people sort of in the administrative athletic space, it's it's just a really bad look uh, of process for Notre Dame. I want to set Priester up for this comment because Pete, you said if due diligence was done and this number was known before he got on the plane, we do have one source that said that number was not known. Not when he got on the plane, but that look, number I'm saying, look, the Salt Lake number was Tribune, not revealed to Notre Dame. The Salt Lake Tribune reported that number before he hopped on the plane. All right. And then Priester uh, definitely disagrees with this piece of information, but that I am saying this because that information came to us, right? But now I want the priest to go ahead and shoot it down, yes. Well, yeah, and before I I get into that, I I, I also want to include the fact that because of Harry Heastan's decision, or maybe tied in with it, Jim Harding, the offensive line coach from Utah, was was part of the package deal with Ludwig, which obviously raised the buyout total uh, with, with two Two coaches, but yeah, it, with with regard to what you're saying, Tim, that Notre Dame had no. They, how was it stated exactly? Can you can you refresh? It was, not, reve- it was not revealed. The actual the actual buyout number was not revealed. All right. Well, I call bullshit. I call bullshit on that because <laughs> right. I just, I just I want to set you up for that. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't believe that that's true. I don't. I mean, I. I it's such a failure of process on Notre Dame's part if they didn't know that. Yeah, I just I I can't believe that. I I know there are a lot of opinions swirling out there about Jack Swarbrick right now, um, but I don't for a second believe that that Nordin went into a negotiation not knowing what the bio clause was. Now, did the bio? I, I don't clause, either. I just wanted that came across. We have to talk about it. Yes. I think, no. Exactly. And and that's the whole point. We're gonna be we're gonna try to cover this topic and other topics, you know, as, as fully as we can, uh, on both sides. And I just don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe Jack Swarbrick would, would function that way. Um, and now are there other people involved in Nordame involved? Are they involved in the process? Probably. And, and so that's why I'm less likely to say, you know, Jack Swarbrick decided this, um, I, I just don't believe I don't he's just too savvy of a negotiator through the course of his career for that to have just cropped up when they sat down to say, OK, we're going to hammer out. We're going to hammer this out now. And I also know that, you know, in previous conversations with Jack Swarbrick about contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, he's a, he's an attorney, uh, but he admitted to me a while back that, you know, the the laws have changed so much that especially when it comes to contracts and all the, all the ins and outs of contracts that, um, you know, he, they, they've called in true experts that have stayed up on the day by day aspect of that negotiation. So of negotiating. So, um, you know, I, I look, he's the, he's the target. I get that. I'm not going to try to dissuade anybody from feeling that way. Um, but I, but I can't believe for a second that Notre Dame sat down uh, at, at the bargaining table not knowing that number. Now, I guess the next thing to ask, though, is knowing that number and then all of a sudden being uncomfortable with that number means that a negotiation to get it down just failed. If you know the number, uh, here's the other the other side of that is if you know the number, he comes in yeah. an interview, you host him and do uh, everything. I would, yeah, I would lean towards saying yes to that. Yeah. I'm speculating there too, but if you know the number, you have them in, and then yeah. all of a sudden the number is a problem. That means yeah. the negotiation to get it down didn't work out. Well, it's I mean, if you have a contract and Utah says you you can have them for two point eight, 
this is it's it's on paper. We have a signed agreement. Like that's that's how contracts work. So that I I don't know if Notre Dame felt like they could negotiate it down because Ludwig they could get him to want to come to Notre Dame. Um, you know, there's having someone in a contract when they don't want to be at a job is usually not a great uh, operating procedure. But um, you know, getting like getting Andy Ludwig to say yes, I want to come to Notre Dame was a good recruiting job by Marcus Freeman, but then you need support on the back end to actually bring that to full uh, fruition. I obviously did not get there. All right. I'm going to throw this out. And I, again, I know it it will be panned because everybody is in Marcus Freeman's corner and and I'm just throwing this out. Just thinking, is there any way that Ludwig actually turned Marcus Freeman down? Now I'm sure you're going to say no. And I get that. I totally get that. Um, I I don't, Based on the information that I was able to gather, I, I don't think that happened. Okay. I, I, don't, I, I either. This is, I'm, I'm this just is a weak way of it. Go, I'm sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, I'm just trying to be fair in the process um, and, and trying to keep some perspective on this. If I'm going to say that I don't believe for a second Notre Dame did not know about the 2.8, then how did this occur? And that And that's why I'm saying, is there any chance this was a – face-saving situation for Marcus Freeman being turned down for a second time. I don't, I'm not saying that I believe that we're just, I'm just throwing that open for discussion. I'm not, yeah, sure I don't have anything there. to add on it. I, okay, I, I, I just, I just, yeah. I don't see that as a, yeah, I don't believe that happened based on the information that I was able to glean. I don't believe that happened, but I bet you it would be better if it did because it's a lot better than not paying a buyout you knew about if that's your sticking point. Yeah, People get yeah. turned down all the time. Marcus Freeman can be a great coach that Andy Ludwig ultimately didn't want to work with. I mean, that's fine. I don't think that's it, but it's better than saying, oh, we don't want to pay your buyout. Sorry about this weekend. Yeah. No, no. And I agree, Pete. I mean, I agree with where you're coming from. It just doesn't, it's weird. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, I, and, and, you know, I mean, again, this is all, I mean, it's, it's fresh. It's not completely fresh because we've all been digging at this for, for days. Um, and then, I mean, let's, so we're obviously, we're going to address this topic with our questions in the second segment. And let's talk about Colin Klein, who, by the way, I just want to say, I loved his offense. <laughs> I loved what I saw of his offense in his first year as a play caller. I thought he was dynamic. I thought he stressed the three levels of the field. Um, I mean, he did something. He had Deuce Vaughn in the backfield, man. You can do a lot of good things offensively <laughs> with that guy, but they had a, I love that Chiefs offense. Yeah, they had a a really good – Kansas State had a – I like their offensive line, which allowed them to do stuff with split backs both being in in the routes. Uh, I thought Colin Klein's offense was really creative and really stressed defenses, and I got a little excited about that for a while. But um, now, here again, um, Conflicting information on whether Klein was offered a job or wasn't. We had heard offered. Pete Sampson's information on that was that he was not offered the job. Correct. Yeah. I mean, but clearly we, there's conflicting information out there. Yes, so it's kind of hard we, to be like, no, I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't. And in and in both instances, uh, the athletic and Irish Illustrated heard that the meeting with the quarterbacks between Klein and them was didn't work out well. Was not yeah. well received, and that's all right. That's understandable. And Pete's going to put a finer point on this, but I have an issue with that. If that has anything to do with it, because all right, we'll go for it. We want to hear it. We're we're talking. Everyone's going to get mad when I say this, but 
All right. First of all, I hear another thing about the ecosystem, the quarterback room, the most transient room in sports for the last 50 years. Here's what I feel if you ask Notre Dame's quarterbacks what they think about Colin Klein. Okay, I don't really care what you think, you think, or you think. And I don't care what you think because you're never going to play. There's four of the five. Sam Hartman, how do you feel about Colin Klein since we kind of have you screwed over here as Notre Dame's starting quarterback going into the year? If he had a problem with it, if it didn't drive there, I would listen to Sam Hartman because you asked. The other quarterbacks may never start a game at Notre Dame. Period. End of story. If Sam Hartman has a great year and Tyler Buckner never plays, Tyler Buckner might transfer. Notre Dame then would need a starting quarterback next year to bridge to C.J. Carr or Kenny Minchie. They bring in a grad transfer. C.J. Carr lights it up underneath this grad transfer. Why are Kenny Minchie and Steve Angeli there? Their opinions, no one's opinion, matters if you want to hire the right coordinator. Jerron Jones said they should go with Mike Elston as defensive coordinator, and all the defensive players said that. And you know who they hired? Mike Elko, which led to Clark Lee. The players aren't right. Now, they, if you, now Pete, what you said to me because I was going off on this pre podcast is a very good point. So I will cede the floor to you. This yeah. is a great Well, point. one, Jerron Jones, I was not expecting to appear on this I podcast know. today. I thought you'd like that. Shout out, Jerron. Jerron Jones in yeah. the second. <laughs> um, Marcus Freeman is a big feedback guy. He's talked about this many times. If you invite feedback, you have to take it. And I think Notre Dame invited feedback from the they No, I don't think. I know they invited feedback from the quarterbacks. Marcus Freeman has to take that feedback. Uh, I, once I, invited. Once invited. Once invited, right? right? Um, but I agree. The feedback from Kenny Minchie and the feedback from Sam Hartman are not the same feedback. Yeah. But I, yeah, I just think, like, Colin Klein really struggled in front of that room. Mm-hmm. And if I was Marcus Freeman... If I have a very young, inexperienced offensive coordinator as my next OC, and he's struggling to sort of command the respect of the quarterbacks in the room, that actually is, that's not like, well, we don't really like this guy, Marcus. Like that actually is, that would be a a big concern for me. Cause like Reese may have not been liked by everybody in that room, but they all knew he knew what the hell he was talking about. Um, and I think if you have a, if you're bringing in somebody where the players are like, uh, we don't really think he has, has it. Um, and look, Notre Dame did that at offensive line a few years ago, but I just think that's, it did not listen. (laughs) No, (laughs) it didn't listen. Um, I just, you can't, I just don't think you can operate that way. So if you invite feedback, you have to take it. Uh, so you guys are on like completely different ends on this and i and i get i agree though if you ask sam hartman who you right exactly and and that's that's my point the only opinion that that really really matters in that room and i agree with you there is is sam hartman but i also agree with pete i mean if you do solicit uh feedback you know and, and again we don't i mean to try to put ourselves in those conversations is just it's it's a little bit insane to to uh think that we can infuse ourselves into those those conversations and know how they went and what direction they, they should have gone. But uh, so regardless, uh, Colin Klein, who I thought had a pretty dynamic offense is not going to be at Notre Dame. Um, And then, then, and now we have the situation with Harry. He we thought Jim Harding was going to replace him. So that would have been uh, relatively seamless as seamless as it can be when losing a, a great coach like, Harry Heastan, and the the fact of the matter is, as we wrap up this first segment, that um, there could be some other loose ends 
to be tied here with with El Golden and um, and Dela McCullough as well. So uh, this could go on for a while, and it's a good thing that spring practice doesn't start till March twenty second. And again, it, it lending some perspective. I, I know the the world is coming to an end uh, based upon what I've read this morning, but you know there is still time to get a competent uh, offensive coordinator and have him out there for the start of spring practice and then actually have a pretty good offense in the fall with a great trigger man and some some real assets. So I don't think it's the end of Nordic football as we know it, but certainly it has been a horrible look for Notre Dame. And um, I don't know that we have all the answers as to why it was, why it ultimately became a horrible look for Notre Dame. Got anything else, Tim? Were you well, no, I, I, that's and the fans reaction. Cause it's a horrible look. Um, and you can't go back on the look, even if like it, Tim, as you said, like something just seems off that this is the only problem that nope, we're not going to pay the buyout after knowing the buyout. Let's say you find out that's there is other things involved. It's never going to become public completely that there's other reasons they didn't get it because Pete Thamel is a great reporter who probably has this 99.9% right. And, you know, it's out there and it, it certainly seems like the case is the buyout's a sticking point. So I get that Notre Dame fans are mad that they wouldn't pay the buyout to get a guy in here to make the offense and the team better. I just, I would, you have a young head coach who's very dynamic personality, great recruiter, a lot of optimism behind him. This to me was a moment where Notre Dame really had to back him. And I don't think that happened, which is, which is frustrating and disappointing. They had to, they had to find a way to make it work and they didn't. And for whatever, for whatever reasons, whoever is to blame, they had to find a way to make this work, especially since he, since, um, you know, since Ludwig was paraded, I mean, paraded, I mean, paraded out. Oh, no, for sure. The the hockey game was just the hockey game. If you're going to do that, you better all be on the same page. And I'm talking about team Notre Dame, not just head coach, not just athletic director, team Notre Dame. And that's why I say something isn't right. Um, and I blame team Notre Dame for what um, has happened here. Maybe he went to the Virginia tech game and he saw how the program plays defense and he decided on Saturday, that there'd be I, no way he could fit in here. I had, I had the, I had the honor of being in person for that game. We'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Segment two, burning out the boards. Our first question is from J. Ross N.D., is it possible the buyout thing is just an excuse because they found something they didn't like during formal vetting? I, I did not get a sense of that at, at all. Um, you know, again, we talked about parading Andy Ludwig out there for the hockey game. Uh, this is a guy that's been a coordinator for 20 years. I, I, I wouldn't think that the due diligence on his background took a whole lot of time. Um, I mean, I, I, I doubt that very much. Yeah, I would I would agree with Priester on this one. I don't I don't know what the background would have been. Um, 
I, I'm sure it would be extensive. He's had quite a few jobs over the years. Like that, that's a extensive check, but um, I don't think that was where things got tripped up. I've not, I've not even heard like a, Hey, you should look into this. Like nobody, yeah. that's not hit my radar at all. Yeah. For the record, he was at, man, we had some good things to say about some of the guys that he coached too. I mean, he was at <laughs> Fresno state in Oregon utah initially and then he went to cal san diego state wisconsin vanderbilt and then back to utah and that was you know as a utah native you're thinking it's always a tough pull for for notre dame or i think for anybody to get somebody out of utah but because he had bounced to to wisconsin and vanderbilt and had success there with you know all these teams i mean he had success with quarterbacks he had success with running games in, in most of these stops so I I don't think it, I don't think it was that. I think we're we're uh we're in agreement with that, Tim, unless you have something on that. No, I I, I agree. I think there we're in the ninety-nine percent agreement and Priester brought up another possibility that just because you're I mean, you have, it's good to bring up other possibilities that maybe Andy Ludwig decided he didn't want the job, but uh I don't think formal vetting had anything to do with it. I don't either. Question from Resplenda four seven seven. Do the athletic director and administration even care? Are they that blind to the <laughs> Terrible optics of this. Do they not see the repercussions to the brand? I know they care. Um, <laughs> and maybe they are not the ones that need or the athletic director isn't the one that's blind to the terrible optics of it, but there are some bad optics of it. I agree with our Splenda. Yeah, it, they're not blind to it. I don't know how they could be. Um, and the optics are pretty brutal. Um being and I think that sort of being in contact, like Notre Dame has a lot of high end donors. So if you if we talk to two or three of them, that is not really like a great sample size. But I would say that the um, vitriol headed off this is unique. I'm trying to think of the last time Sorbrook caught this much, and I off the top of my head, I, I couldn't come up with something. I'm sure there have been times like, um, but in, and I'm talking about the last five or six years, not the last 15. Um, I think people are like, so there's definitely a group that uh, mad as hell. And it's not just people yeah. on message boards. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's the, the, there, there are people that want them fired and, and that's the reactions. And I don't know that it's ever been, I don't, I don't know the outcry has ever been as great as this, but I think it's a good question. There's some emotion in there, but the last part, do they not see the repercussions to the brand? I I, I think they do. And I, and I think there's one way to uh, mitigate that hire an offensive coordinator and have success this fall with your offense. Yeah. Which and, like they automatically will, right? Like whoever they hire, like if they promote Jared Parker to OC, the offense will be really good this fall. Like, do we yeah, not as a Hartman and, not, and the, yeah. the tackles? Do we not all backs? agree with that? Like, I would, yeah, that's yep. not the hire. That's I, not the hiring path I would I'm take. But I agree standing with you. By, I'm still standing by. I don't think Jared Parker is going to be the offensive coordinator. Yeah, but I'm just like the process is busted. However, the outcome this fall I think will actually be quite good offensively. And I think that's a great point because let's play devil's advocate, even though we don't believe it. Um, Two point eight million dollar buyout for the offensive coordinator sounds insane for Notre Dame's administration. Add whatever the buyout is for Harding. We hear as high as one million. That sounds ridiculous. Let's say it's five hundred thousand. You're at three point three to buy out Utah's offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, and then you're paying him. 
and you're Notre Dame and you don't like talking about players making a little bit of money for signing autographs for NIL. So I know where they're coming from. I disagree with where they are coming from in the modern era of the sport. I, I think paying, but like, I understand why the pay for play would make Notre Dame less Notre Dame. Uh, paying an exorbitant buyout does not. That has nothing to do with like Notre Dame being Notre Dame to me. And, and at this point, so all that matters is that you hire, you, you find a good offensive coordinator. Okay. Spring practice. Is it, is it March 22? Is that the yeah. date? Yes. That's, that's the range. We are, th- we are 36 days of what can you imagine? If this? Imagine if, imagine if they hire the OC, you know, the week of uh, the, the start of spring practice, it won't be that. But my point being there are 36 days. And so as bad as this all feels right now, hire a competent offensive coordinator, get him on campus, get him to blend with the team, have a successful season offensively, which I would agree they, they will, they should. And the impact of what's happening here during the, as I said, the St. Valentine's day massacre, uh, will, will be diminished. Um, and don't forget, make sure every player is okay with it and their delicate sensibilities are not affected not by who that. you bring in. I'm not saying that. That obviously is a burr under your saddle and you're entitled. I can't believe it. But it's. <laughs> <laughs> but look, there, there's a way to straighten this out, and that is pick up the pieces from what just happened and get back at it and find a good offensive coordinator. There are, there are good offensive coordinators out there. Perhaps, I mean, there are good offensive coordinators out there that we haven't even mentioned yet. That and is may, why I took the do. devil's advocate of Andy Ludwig's Utah's offensive coordinator, and he has a $2.8 million buyout. I yeah. wanted Andy Ludwig. I think Notre Dame should have paid the buyout. I want to make that clear. I'm just pointing out, as Tim says, there are other people out there that don't have a $2.8 million a, buyout. He must have a great agent. Does he share that agent with anybody that we know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't I think know on that does. one. I think he does. I need to look further into that. Question from <laughs> Jeremy Lamb, 19, as a cynic. This makes me wonder about the origins of Colin Klein's candidacy. He doesn't really meet any of Freeman's stated priorities. Any reason to think he was the first serious interview and offer to placate the administration who wanted an inexpensive hire? I I agree uh, about Klein's resume not matching up with what I was told Freeman valued most. Like it, I didn't I didn't get it. Um, However, um, I think it's okay to bring him in for an interview in the same way that when Reese interviewed with Oregon a few years ago, Reese was not, not like a candidate candidate, but like, it's good to go get interviewing experience. Colin Klein clearly needed it based on how the interview went. Um, but that like, that's okay. And I think that sometimes we get, and we being the media, we get trapped in the like, well, the first guy that came in for the interview was the first choice. That was not true. Marcus Freeman's approach to this was he wanted to bring in multiple guys for interviews. That was, and that was from the get-go. Um, so Colin Klein was not the first choice just because he was the first guy to come in for an interview. Um, I, you know, Colin Klein, from what I can gather, talking to people in industry, like Kirby Smart thinks he's got a real bright future. Nick Saban thought after the the sugar bowl game that they're like, "Hmm, okay, this is a guy I should keep tabs on. So the fact that Marcus Freeman brought him in for an interview um, makes sense. If you look at it as like, this is somebody we should know about, this guy should be in our system. 
it would make not it would make no sense if he brought him in for an interview. It was like this is our first choice because he's the first guy we brought in, but I don't think that was ever the case. No, there, there. Excuse me, Tim. Let me, there was a there was a uh, whatever you want to call it, a conversation with Byron Leftwich first, correct? Yeah, I, I think that Freeman had Zoom calls or calls with double digit like people of interest, like. I think he cast a really wide net on this. Those not um, like, are, do we not consider those interviews because it wasn't in, it wasn't face to face. I think they're first interviews. Like yeah. people do zooms now for your first interview yeah. and your oh, second interview. You, you said, you said, you said Klein was the first interview. I mean, the first, I'm so, let me clarify the first guy to come to campus. Okay, gotcha, That's gotcha. not the first zoom call. Gotcha. Tim. No, I agree that it's not it. I don't, I don't see as the first at all. In fact, I mean, anybody in the NFL, he wanted, especially Brian Johnson, if Brian Johnson was a serious candidate, he, what you couldn't bring him in. He could have been your number one candidate, but you couldn't bring him in first. No matter, you couldn't pay him to come in first last week. So there was no chance of him being the first guy on campus. Yeah, I don't think first guy on campus means much these days. It's just part of the business. Yeah. You know, and I said something on our message board about like, you know, we 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 think of an interview process where a company sets up. There's a position open, and you have a there's an appointment in the morning, and there's an appointment in the afternoon, and then the next day you got the same setup. It's not the same thing hiring coordinators because you know nobody's sitting in the lobby waiting for their turn. They, they're they're looking to see okay, who did you speak to first? Who did you bring in first? Where am I in the pecking order? So naturally the that whole process when somebody turns you down is going to be a little bit clunky because you don't have another guy waiting in the, in the waiting room. It doesn't, it's not conducted in that, that manner. Uh, Pete, I agree with you. And I did make this comparison um, with, with Reese and his first interviews uh, with, with client. I think, I think it's smart for coaches to talk to not necessarily a guy that you're going to hire for this position now, but, you know, especially with Zoom, the opportunity to visit with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, guys and thoughts and ideas. To me, that's the whole uh, strength of weak ties thing. You need to you need to mm-hmm. look outside of the guys that that you agree with to find other idea ideas to work with in the future. So I thought that whether whether he ultimately was offered or not, I thought that that was a a great person to contact mainly because I loved his offense. I just yeah. loved it. He did, he did some really creative things against Alabama too that caught him early. And then Alabama started rolling offensively and then start putting pressure on, on them with their defense. But he did it. They, if I'm thinking of the right game, they're all kind of blending together. They did a, they, I think so. Cause I remember Hurt street's voice. They did a quad quad to one side of the field four receivers and actually scored on that uh which was pretty extreme i thought it was pretty good you know what also um little thing that happened during the interview process was marcus freeman knew about harry Heastan retiring before we did so at some point during the process he had a conversation with Heastan after losing his offensive coordinator and realized i also need an offensive line coach your decision on who you might want to bring in changes a little bit when you have Ludwig he, and his offensive line coach or Colin Klein and let's go right. find an offensive I hope line he coach. Communicated that. Oh, I think I think that's there. I mean, there certainly it. were people at Notre Dame who knew Harry Heastan was retiring yeah, yeah, before yeah, Colin right. Klein showed up. Hopefully Marcus Freeman was one of them. I'm sure yeah, that he was. Yeah. Right, right, right. 
Next from Joe T.Y. With Ludwig out, where does the OC search go from here? Sean Lewis? As we sit here right now, I'm not sure that I can give a good answer to that. I, I mean, it, we're, we're talking about, you know, less than 12, I don't know, 12 hours since we found out that this had, had fallen through. Um, you know, I go back to our original list, which uh, looks like Swiss cheese at, at this point. I mean, they ha- they have not. They at no point reached out to Joe Moorhead, and he just re-upped at Akron. Not that that couldn't change, but Byron Leftwich. What's his buyout there, though, Tim? Do we know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It's really hard to figure uh, it out these days. So there's. Yeah, you know, we had. I mean, if they look to the pros, Greg Roman was a name that we had on the list, but he hasn't been in college since he was with Harbaugh at Stanford. Um, you know, Sean Lewis, we heard not a good fit. I can imagine he's got a significant buyout at Colorado. Um, let me, let me interject here. Like how familiar are you with buyouts for coordinators and assistant coaches? Because this is all kind of a, this is kind of a new topic to even consider at this point. Well, I th- Ludwig's is definitely unique. I mean, he, his buyout is higher than some head coaches. Um, but it's, I mean, my understanding is the nature of his contract. He is a three-year rolling contract at Utah, which is pretty rare. You don't, I mean, essentially, that's a lifetime contract that he has going. Right. Um, so the buyout kind of is able to stay the same. A lot of times, you know, your buyout after year one is high, and then it drops in year two, and it goes away in year three kind of thing. Um, you know, even multi-year contracts for coordinators at all um, is not an automatic thing uh, everywhere all the time. So this was, um, I mean, when I saw $2.8 million last week, I was like, mm, okay, that is, that's a little bit of a red flag. And then talking to some of my colleagues at the athletic who know people, you know, have sources around Utah, people at Utah were like, this is a real deal. Like this isn't the buyout was going to be enforced and Utah had confidence that they could keep Ludwig because of the buyout. And I think ultimately that was proven to be correct. And I, it's, I don't blame them for not, I mean, you have to pay it. I think I keep saying you have to pay it. It's not my money, but that's an, it's an exorbitant buyout for an offensive coordinator that might not have been your first choice. Well, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, the he buyout might not have been their first total choice of everybody of let's say they had a list like Tim Priesters, maybe Andy Ludwig wasn't number one on their list. But then Brian Johnson says, I'm not going to South Bend and Joe Moorhead can't really be approached for it. And they're like, all right, well, let's bring in Ludwig and Klein and some other people like that. Then all of a sudden it gets tough. It's problem is the numbers dwindled since then. So he could be number one on your list because you lost number one, two and four. But let let me complete the thought and then we'll go back to this. Jason Candle, the head coach at Toledo, he's been wooed by Miami. He may stay at Toledo. He may go to Miami. Um, You know, I thought. Certainly, he had Notre Dame on the ropes a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons ago. Nobody seems to like like Trickett because he struggled so much at Marshall after they beat Notre Dame. He's a younger guy. Ryan Grubb's got a – he has a massive buyout as well at Washington. You know, and, 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 and as we got down further, I mean, I had Brian Johnson down further on the list mainly because we thought he'd end up in the NFL as a coordinator, and that appears to be happening. Brian Hartline's not realistic. And I really don't, you know, Mike Denbrock and, and Jared Parker. I could Jared Parker end up as the offensive coordinator of Notre Dame? I would imagine that's possible. I will take odds on that. And if I'm wrong, I will admit that I'm wrong. And Pete, any other any new name? Uh Gino Guduli from 
Cincinnati was mentioned about the time that we introduced uh, Colin Klein to the, the conversation. Um, any other, I, this is so fresh. I don't, I don't have any new names yeah. for you. Um, I hopefully, hopefully there will be some new names that pop up later today after we're all making our calls and checking <laughs> with sources, nice. yeah. but um, it would behoove Notre Dame to um, get some new names out there. But it's like Gino Gaduli. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I, 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 I understand him even less than Colin Klein. Well, that may have been just one of those conversations again, yeah, as right, opposed right. To, to actually seeking to hire him, and that's why. Do we have to overreact to every? I mean, I, I think there's an overreaction sometimes to every tidbit of information, and if you think about it a little bit further, it, it it's all it's part of the puzzle, but not necessarily the last piece to the puzzle. Question from Hobo Cop: Do you think that Harry he stands? Retirement is more of a him not wanting to work with another offensive coordinator, or b the new offensive coordinator wanting to bring in his own guy. I was told a by two different people, um, but they also probably would be closer to Harry Heastan than they are to me. So what I'm saying there is they don't have to tell me the truth, but I believe them if that makes sense. Uh, the answer is a. Yeah. Could there be any part of b? in play simply because it looked like it was going to be well no you're right i mean that that decision was made ahead of time before i know i think ludwig became more attractive as harry he announced his retirement though that would be that's i guess that's the point that i'm i'm getting at with that question from blacks texas texas domer staff do you think harry he retiring will, will cause notre dame to lose any of the 24 offensive line commitments Nah, no. Direct cause? No, I don't think so. Yeah, they have one. Yeah, that's why I'm going with that one. <laughs> well, okay, maybe maybe to add to the question. Guys that the they are really well, that they were in on. Yeah, I think Notre Dame's offensive line, look, Notre Dame, Jeff Quinn recruited some pretty good players in Notre Dame on the offensive line. I think Notre Dame can bring in. If they lose an offensive line commit, okay. <laughs> yeah. Whoever Notre Dame's offensive line coaches will have a lot of success in recruiting because he's Notre Dame's offensive line yeah. coach. Um, you know, Harry Heastan was not a great recruiter per se, um, but a great developer of elite recruits. So I don't, you know, if 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 they lose a recruit, that would be fine. Life will go on. Yeah. Um, that you know, it's the roster is in really good shape. Um, he stand has something to do with that. Quinn has something to do with that. Freeman has something to do with that. That's that Reese had something to do with that. that's kind of a team effort. Um, but I would not, uh, sure. Look, Notre Dame has had great offensive lines for a long time. That will continue. I wouldn't, this wouldn't be a big concern of mine. Question from SF Castillo Are there any O line coaches that have piqued your interest since Harry Heastand retired? And I, you know, I, we have been thinking. Jim Harding for the yeah. last few days. So uh, let me throw this out to you guys. Chris Watt, any chance? I don't Here's think that would I, be a smart move. I, the way I feel about Chris Watt, I like Chris Watt a lot, but hiring Same. Chris Watt at Notre Dame. Um, here's where the question to ask yourself is, was Chris Watt going to, if he were to be enticed to leave, was he about to become a major power five top 20 program 
offensive line coach next year. And that's probably not. No, they wouldn't have the perspective that Notre Dame does, but right. yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you guys, but I, you know, in my heart, I think maybe Chris Watt is ready because of his exposure. Oh, to, he, to He sure could be, but I usually go by that. Same team. thing with Parker is any, is a top 20 offense looking to hire Jared Parker away from Notre Dame right now. That's how I always kind of weigh these. Yeah. Obviously someone's looking to hire Tommy Reese away from Notre Dame. Right. And I mean, I, I heard that, Jared Parker did have interest from other schools that were higher end this no, offseason. That, that we just haven't heard that on what. Yeah. No. Um, but I would say, you know, this isn't, I'm not advocating for this offensive line coach because he's not even an offensive line coach at the minute. Uh, but Ron Crook was at Cincinnati with Marcus Freeman um for I think all four of his seasons there. Right now he's at South Dakota, which is obviously kind of a difficult. Um, look for Notre Dame, but he was at he was Stanford's offensive line coach from 2011 and 2012. Um, he's somebody that those Freeman some, is. Those are some good lines, Pete. Yeah, somebody yeah, that Freeman oh, obviously is very aware of. How old um, is he? I don't know his age. I mean, he's been coaching for a while. Um, he would have. I would say he's probably, geez, about 60. I mean, he He his final year of playing in college was 88. So you can kind of work, work the uh, math on that one. He's uh, six years younger than me, so he's fifty-six. Okay, mid fifties then. Um, but experienced, um, you know, his he was at West Virginia, Stanford, Illinois. Spent a minute at Harvard. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know the backstory on why he's at South Dakota right now. Is the tight, spe- South Dakota the special teams tight ends coach? He and it was only there for last season. Um, so, but that, that's just a name. Like when people put out lists of names and you're looking for who's worked with Marcus Freeman, that's a guy that's worked with Marcus Freeman. Yeah. You know, before I read this next question, I want to put a finer point on black Stomer asking if he's in retiring will cause you to lose any 24 commits. I don't think it'll cause them to lose a 23 commit, but that's the class to look at in the next calendar year. They were recruited by Harry. He specifically by Harry. He There's five of them. I would think somebody from that five, when we're speaking at this point next year, moves on somewhere else because he was brought to Notre Dame by Harry Heastand. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, you know that the, that Harry Heastand's reputation has been sold to them over and over and right, over. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Somebody like that would be vulnerable and, you know, in the 24 class as well. But, you know, I think Marcus Freeman... And I don't, I don't mean this summer, this spring, I'm, I'm saying, you know, next yeah. year from now when they've gone through a year of, of the new offensive line coach, CMU Penn's fan. Do you think offensive players on the current squad were privately happy that Reese had moved on and ND could be something different? Some of them. Yeah, for Definitely sure. Some of them. them. Some are happy. Hey, he stand moved on too. That's just the way it goes with the players. Usually the ones that aren't playing are the ones yeah, that I can think of one. Players. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it, for sure. This you're is, going I mean, this to is... have, you're going to have that with any coach. Yeah. Um, this past season was a very stressful season for, for, for Tommy Reese, Notre Dame's quarterbacks coach and, and offensive coordinator. And so I think some of that stress was reflected upon uh, or placed upon uh, the guys that he was, he was coaching and, you know all about this. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, that's, this happens everywhere with every coaching change that 
not everybody is in love with everybody else. That's totally fine. At you know, there were there were guys that were happy that he stand left the first time. Um, I don't know if anybody will be happy the second time, but um, that's that's fine. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into our answer here. Of like, yeah, there are probably some players that welcome a fresh start in post Tommy Reese world. I would those- think a guy like Billy Shroth would really be bummed out that Eric Eastan walked out the door. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. Really I don't think there's a position group in the world that's that deep though that would all love Harry Heastand. If you're yeah. third string and you're not moving up to second string, if you're second string and not moving to first string. But um conversely on CMU Penn's fans question, I also think there's some Notre Dame players that uh are going to be very unhappy with the next offensive coordinator hire because maybe they don't see things like Reese did. Reese clearly had an affinity for Mitchell Evans. He clearly had helped develop Jaden Thomas. I mean, there's going to be plenty of guys that would yeah. rather have Reese, and there'd be guys that'd be like, "Thank God Reese is gone. Now I can finally do what I what I do best." That's <laughs> just the. That's why you don't ask the players. <laughs> they have to just perform. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just... it's the O'Malley theme of of uh, February 14th. No, I, I absolutely. Now the receivers. I mean, I think the receivers pretty much buy into Chancey Stuckey. So I mean, he's sure. the guy that's exactly. Be but, I mean, Jaden Thomas was put out there because Tommy Reese liked his physic, the physicality of Jaden Thomas. He realized two tight ends yeah. and Jaden Thomas makes Audrick Estime and Logan Diggs better. Yeah. Well, whoever becomes the offensive coordinator will have plenty of film to look at and see that that is actually yes. the case with the tight ends. And, you know, I mean, Jared Parker has a bunch of good young tight ends to work with too. So, um, yeah, it's going to happen all the time. And, uh, but I don't think it's a, it's a deal breaker for anybody with Tommy Reese staying or, or going. Right. We're going to wrap up with a question from Elkman 1966. How do you think this decision, meaning um, Ludwig not coming to Notre Dame, will impact Notre Dame football in the months and years ahead? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head in the years ahead. Depends on who they hire. If they hire a good offensive coordinator. will have n- very, very minimal impact in the months ahead, or at least in the next month ahead. I think it's going to greatly impact Notre Dame football off the field because it's all we're going to hear about until the offensive coordinator is hired and appears to be better than Andy Ludwig on paper because he can't prove it until late October, we'll know. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. mid November. I mean, I think you're 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 proving it at the end of September against Ohio State, right? Well, I mean, you can, you're allowed to lose a game. I'm just saying that you could. You know, yeah, play. but if you score well, ten points it, in that game, yeah, the great thing you're not about allowed that, to do that. You don't have to. You don't have to play Ohio State in the first game like you did this this past no. year. I think they they will be fine this year. I th- they will have a good offensive coordinator um, based on how productive the offense is going to be because Sam Hartman, Joe Alt, Blake Fisher, that group of running backs, um, that's a great, great foundation for an offense. So I think they'll be fine there. Um, they, you know, they could hire an offensive coordinator who could prove to be better than any Ludwig. We don't know that. Um, but we won't know that probably in March. We know we won't know that in March. I would say that if I was Notre Dame, I would, ha- you have to look at yourself and be like, the process was broken on this. How do we fix this? Um, you can't, you can't go through an interview process with an offense coordinator the way that you just did. That's, that's not backing the head coach. That's not, you know, having your due diligence done at the level you need to do it. Um, so I would hope even if Notre Dame ends up, like, let's say Brian Johnson's like, you know what? College. I want to do college. And he comes to Notre Dame. That Notre Dame would still have to look at the Ludwig situation and be like, how did, 
how did this happen? How do we stop this from happening the next time? Because it's is not a healthy situation. You know, I will throw out the little reminder that in the last six years, Notre Dame's won 63 games and lost 14. That's a winning percentage of 81.8, which is the best at Notre Dame since Lou Holtz. It's better than any stretch during the era Parsegian era, which is ancient history, I realize, for most people. But my point is that the, the program is not about to collapse because Andy Ludwig was not hired. The process, as Pete just pointed out, was really bad, and you need to correct that. And so the answer to the question for me is in the short term, not great. In the long term, you hire the right guy, you have a good season, and this is this is a blip. Now, the next time you interview, uh, you may have some – the next time you go through this process, you may have some – explaining from the fallout of how this all happened but man get a get a competent guy in there get him working with the team again have a solid spring and do good things in the fall and um and and Nording will pick up where they left off which is 63 wins in the last six years and we expect them to have another good team i really like to acknowledge kind of the wildness of message boards but i also think the um the decision not to pay a buyout of the offensive coordinator you want makes people think 63 wins in six seasons is great and we will not be any closer to beating Georgia, Alabama and whoever else. In that the playoffs. May, that I may think very that well is probably the anger for most, not that we're going to go start going eight and four all the time. I get that. That very well may be true. And you could have Andy Ludwig as your offensive coordinator and that could remain true. Very true as well. Yes. Uh, because you took, you of, took more of a, it's more of an off the field thing right now. Yeah, I mean, because of the disadvantages that Notre Dame is, you know, the undergraduate transfer is a, is a much bigger problem than what just happened with the horrible optics that was created here. The inability to be able to bring in undergraduate transfers will have a much greater impact on the long term of Notre Dame football than what just happened in the last 24 hours. Would you agree with that? Oh, no, there's yeah. no doubt. No doubt whatsoever. I, look, I, I'm not trying to downplay what happened in the last 24, 48 hours. This is a terrible smudge on the process, and Notre Dame does not look good in the process. All you can do is pick up the pieces and move forward, and that's where they are today on uh, Tuesday, February 14th. That's it for Irish Illustrated Insider. Guys, uh, Jack, are we set for coming back on Monday, six days from now? Is that correct? That works for everybody's schedule, sure. Okay, that's what we're looking at for now. We'll let you know if it changes. We appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish!